0: Well, there's an old saying goes, and I've used the saying myself that goes, the only thing that stays the same is that everything changes. That's what they say. And as a people, we are regularly changing our minds. We redecorate and repaint our houses. We, the foods that we loved as kids, uh, they don't normally stay with us. We change our tastes. As we get older, we start to like things that we did not like as kids. Am I talking about broccoli? Yes, I am. I eat it now. It's mostly because my doctor says you should. I'm like, okay, that'll happen. Um, So we do these things. We change the clothes that we wore in high school. You don't normally find those still hanging in your closet 20 or 30 years later. Now, I will say there's a trend right now that the clothes that some of us grow up wearing 20 to 30 years ago are now back. Um, I, one, personally do not like it. But if you want to look like weird, awkward middle school Chris, you do your thing, okay? Wear what you want. Now I will say we buy new cars right we change cars we have get new hairstyles some of us multiple times a year did you know that they estimate that a person will change jobs on average 12 times in their lifetime 12 times I personally counted it up and I have changed eight times since I graduated high school. So I'm in sort of that statistic. Now, some of you may have worked the same job for a long time, but there's someone out there that worked like 24, and they're averaging that out for you. Truth be told, we change our minds a lot as people. Now, many times these changes can be positive things. If you've got bad health because of uh, lifestyle, then making changes can be a good thing, like stopping smoking or working out more, eating healthier These can be good, they can improve your life. Finding a new career, although some people do it a lot, it can be good for you. It can lead to uh, more fulfillment, it can lead to more pay, better hours. Again, these are good things. However, sometimes we change, not because we wanna just change a habit or we wanna change something specific, but it's happening because of what's going on around us. We are changing because of our environment. Now, when my oldest son, Sam, was five years old, he loved these toys called Beyblades. Does anybody have kids who loved Beyblades? If you don't know what Beyblades are, they're these spinning tops, right, that have these colorful, all these different colorful things, and they've got the weirdest names I've ever heard of a toy. Like, it's hard to pronounce. They're strange. But they have these things, and what they do is they spin them around with these rip cords, right, and they spin and they battle, Together, they hit each other, and the point is, if you can like knock the other guy's bay—that's what the cool kids call it—bay um, apart. If you break their bay, or if you spin longer than theirs, you win. You win nothing, by the way, but you win. And so, you know, they have a huge variety of all these toys, and they're only five to fifteen dollars per bay. And like, okay, my son has no concept of what money is, so he he looks at that, but. All the kids at daycare when he was five, they loved him, right? And so he would take his Beyblade with him to school, and he he wanted more and more. So Christmas 2019 rolls around, and what does he get? Beyblades, right? And we got him like a little stadium piece of molded plastic that like he would spin his bays in, right? And he could practice, I guess, at home. He loved it. And then March 2020 rolls around and COVID hits, and he didn't go to daycare anymore. He stops going to daycare. And you want to know what he stopped playing with? Beyblades. He stopped playing with them. Because nobody he was hanging out with played with them. His brother was too little at that point to know how to do it. Now, he does it now, again, because now Isaac's old enough to do it with him. And so they have fierce battles at home. But it was the environment that changed. As people, our tastes change. And sometimes... Those tastes change, they happen because of outside influences. I mean, we get friends who like certain things or, or there's popular new trends and that leads us to change our choices and our path. We do something different because the, the culture has changed around us. And for many of us, how we view the world is influenced by other people. We get told that one way of believing or acting is the proper way. It's the correct way. And so as a result, we begin to let that be the prevailing opinion for how we do things. We give in to the pressure of popularity and the trends rather than leaning into the truths that we read in God's word. We let pressure, we let sin lead us to change our ways when God is saying, follow my consistent direction because the reality is God never changes. Now, we've been in a series that we've been calling Vantage Point, and that series is where we are looking at that, the fact that our perspective on this world is a limited perspective, that as a person with a specific cultural upbringing and a, and a particular background, that we struggle to see the world not through a clouded lens, Instead, we need to lean in to the sovereignty or the supreme authority of our God. We need to begin to see that God is in control, that God, he, he made and he can see all of this world, that he's working for our good. And that we need to learn to trust and obey that he has our best interests in mind. I'm sure that just like for me, this has been challenging, to think about giving up that control of our life and letting God take the lead of what we're doing. And so today we're gonna to continue talking about this topic as we discover that God's plans do not change. Now Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse seven, it's where we're gonna start. He said, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, we use this verse a lot around here. You're going to hear this verse a lot. And that's because it's it's part of our mission statement about what we believe, because we believe that as a church, we are here to connect people to that full life that Jesus promises. And this is something that says a lot about what we believe and who we are. Jesus is saying that he cares for us. He loves us and that we should know his voice. That's what he's saying. You should know my voice. I mean, in this, there is a lot of strength, knowing the voice of Jesus. Jesus. It leads to full life. It leads to joy and fulfillment of a life planned by God. And yet, we find ourselves often being led by other voices. Other voices lead us. The voices of culture. The voices of our friends. The voices of opinion and trends and even our own desires. I mean, we change our approach because someone else tells us that the way we thought was right is either outdated it's judgmental, it's exclusive, or they just say it's naive. So we give in to the pressures around us and we follow the wrong voice. And what did Jesus call this voice? He called it the thief. And he said, this thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Now hear me, there is a literal thief that Jesus is talking about. He's called Satan. Satan. That thief is out there. The Bible tells us that Satan's prowling around looking to take a life. But there are also voices and, in our, and, and the thieves that are in our lives that are of our own making, that we have put into place. Because here's the truth, we need consistency in our lives. And this leads to our big idea for the day, which is this. God's faithfulness is the only consistent thing in your life. God's faithfulness is the only consistent thing in your life. God is consistent. And so we want to look at that promise that Jesus made, that promise of full life. And we need to understand how it is consistent with what we know of God. Because there are people that struggle with this. There are people that look at Jesus in the New Testament and say, they see the Jesus of love and grace and forgiveness. And then they go and they say, and that's different. That's a different God than I read about in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, they see a God of wrath and anger and punishment. And they think, that's not the same person. God changed and I'm here to tell you that that's not true. God and Jesus are one and the same. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We're going to go back. We're going to go, if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them up. We're going to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And we're going to read about a man in Genesis named Abraham. Now, Abraham was loved by God. He was chosen by God to be the father of all generations to come. And so for many years, he did as God commanded. He moved around. He was even doing whatever God asked him to do. He was waiting as well to have a son born to him and his wife, Sarah. He was waiting for that heir to his family. But yet, Abraham was aging It says he was in his late 90s, and Sarah was around the same age, well past her childbearing years. So to them, this idea of having a child, it was gone. Like they couldn't do this. It wasn't going to happen. But then God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son named Isaac. And this is what God said to them in chapter 17 of Genesis. He said, Yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And this was a miracle. I mean, you talk about, like, two really old people, okay? Sorry, having a baby? Like, like we get, like, really worked up if, like, a woman in her late 40s or 50s has a baby. We're talking, like, 90s. Okay? They were ecstatic. They had Isaac and they were just so filled with joy. And then God put Abraham to the test. And this is a hard story because years after Isaac's birth, God said to him, listen, that son that you wanted, the one that i blessed you with and I gave you, I want you to take him up to this mountain. I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, God is asking him to give up all of this based upon faith. and I'm not real sure I could do it. I'm actually 99.9% sure I would not do it if you would ask me the same thing. Yeah, Abraham agrees. And he takes Isaac up to this mountain and he prepares to sacrifice him and he's got the knife out and he's getting ready to do it and then God stops him. And he offers up another sacrifice for God, for Abraham to be able to sacrifice. And, And he praises Abraham for his faith and his commitment to follow him. And here's what he says in chapter 22, verse 17. He says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so begins this covenant with God and Abraham. Like they begin to work together and he begins to do what God has called him to do and, and God says, I'm gonna bless you and through your son, all of the world will move and grow and become my p- people, right? God's faithfulness is the only consistent thing in your life. And truth be told, God could have changed his mind. If you read the Old Testament, let me tell you, there's a lot of chances for God to change his mind for these people, for the Israelite people. These were people who regularly turned their backs on God. They turned to foreign gods. They relied on people, their intelligence. They relied on the power of armies. They, needed, they wanted to spend money to make things better. They, they worshipped idols. I mean, there were times like when the Israelites escaped the Egyptians, right? We just sang about that, that the Israelites actually said, hey, let's just go back to Egypt because it would be easier than what we've been dealing with out here in the wilderness. I don't think God's coming through. Yet God consistently throughout the story of the Old Testament, time and time again, he delivered these Israelite people out of evil and into his promises. Now we might sit in here in the crowd, right? And we might think, wow, that's kind of crazy that they didn't trust God. Like after seeing all they saw, they still didn't trust God. But I'm going to challenge you. Do you really act any different than they do? Because we regularly put our faith in a lot of other things, things like institutions and government entities of this world. We, we have built up other human beings, like celebrities, right, or influencers. We've built them up as so important that we nearly worship the ground they walked upon. We rely on knowledge as the primary thing to bring us comfort and strength. We place our hope in the influence that we have or the finances or the stuff or the power, rather than leaning on God. We have stopped praying to God for his will to be done and instead started praying to God for a wish list of things we want him to do for us. Now, regarding prayer, I want to share with you, if you weren't already aware, the Bengals won yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the Titans. They They can't beat them, apparently. So, as a result, we were having a prayer night scheduled for January 30th. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't hear that online, they're laughing. Um, And so we're going to change it. We're going to move it to February 6th. Now, this is not something we did as a result of culture pushing us to do that. It's not that. And hear me say, we're we're happy with the Bengals winning, and we're excited that we get to, to experience that next weekend. But we also want prayer to be important. We want as many of you to be able to be there as possible, and so we don't want distractions to get in the way of that. And no one cares about the Pro Bowl, so <laughs> so just that's what I'm saying. Like you just come here, um, but we want to pray. We want to be praying. We want to start this year off praying, and so. I encourage you, February 6th, same time, uh, 6 p.m. at both our campuses, Ross and Colerain, we will be having a prayer and worship night here. Um, You you may need to re-register for that if you've already registered. We're going to try to carry those over, but it's probably safest just to go back in and re-register if you already did. Um, But we want you to be there because we're going to take time and stop and listen to God. We're not coming in here and asking God to fix everything in our lives. I mean, we will. We can God wants you to ask things of him, but we want to listen to God. We want to open ourselves up to what he wants for us. So register for this. Plan to spend an hour with us as we lift our voices and our hearts up to God, okay? Because we've let inconsistency plague our lives. We've been inconsistent. Honestly, when it comes to almost everything, we are inconsistent. We change. But you can be assured that God has not God's faithfulness is the only consistent thing in your life. See, the Israelites and even us, we have turned away from God as many times, and, and we've fallen short of what God wants for our lives. We, we have not met that challenge. And, we're gonna, and God, throughout all of this, all these mistakes and all these things that we've done through history, he has done everything he can to bridge the gap he rescued the Israelites, he delivered them, and this narrative goes on and on and on all the way to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Now in the book of Malachi, we get to hear mostly from God, actually. There's 55 verses in the book of Malachi. If you haven't read it, it's real short, but there's 55 verses in there. And of those 55, 47 of them are God talking to Malachi, And so, in this book, God is commanding the people that they need to worship Him, that they need to do this in a faithful way, in a humble way, that they should come to Him. And that He's explaining to them a little bit about how to do this. Like, it's through your offerings, it's through the way that you you stand by your covenants of this world, particularly marriage. He's talking about marriage a lot in here, about how we stick with that. And so, He was saying, You need to acknowledge that I'm in control. God was in essence telling the people, these people, get your act together, straighten up. And if I'm dumbing it down, here's the best way. It's like a dad with some kids, he just goes, cut it out, <laughs> right? Quit, that's what I, quit it. He's saying, quit. You're acting, you're acting a fool. These people were struggling. I'm gonna admit, these people were struggling. They were dealing with, most likely, they were in exile from their home country. They were dealing with foreign Foreign rulers, they were troubled by financial insecurity. They were skeptical of religion. And they had a lot of personal disappointments. Some of that sounds a little familiar. Sounds like some people are going through now. Yet God speaks to them through Malachi. God lays it out. He says, listen, you haven't been consistent with me. You've turned away. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't trying to browbeat them either. He wasn't trying to make them feel bad about their lives. He was trying to help them understand that what he plans is to fulfill their lives. Here's what he says in verse 6 of chapter 3. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And here's the thing. He's not returning for the first time. He's returning for another time in a list of time after time after time after time that he had done this. I don't know about you, but people in my life get a three-strike method. You do something bad to me three times and we're done. Like I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Now, what if God used that same mentality? We'd be in a bad place. We'd all be in trouble. I know I would. What does God says? Here's what he says in verse 17 of that same chapter. He says, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. I mean, what a beautiful phrase that is, treasured possession, right? Treasured possession, he calls us. This is a thing of value that is far beyond what we can afford, something that we don't want to let go of, something that we just look at and think, this is amazing, I don't want anybody else to have this. That's what God looks at us. When he looks at us, that's what he sees. Treasured possession. And so because of this, He's consistently done everything in his power to redeem us. Bring us back into the flock. Save us from the wages of sin and death. God's faithfulness is the only consistent thing in your life. It's fitting that this book of Malachi is the last one because it points so much to the promise that God made to his people and to all of us. You see, this passage in Malachi talks about the compassion that a father shows his son whom he spares, who has, been, who has served him. I mean, you look at that. It goes all the way back to what Abraham was dealing with on that mountain when he was about to sacrifice Isaac and God spared his life. And it points to the true sacrifice that God made in sending his one and only son, Jesus. See, Jesus was sent to be a bridge for the gap that had been created in our life, the gap that we had because of sin. Sin had created a chasm that sets between us and God. And God had made a commitment to redeem his people, so he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So that we can be forgiven for all of our sins, the sins that we have. And through his resurrection, we could be promised eternal life. God, who had compassion on all of us, was willing to give up his son for us. He did not spare his son so that all of us could live. And Jesus knew this was his mission. He knew that this was what he was called to do when he said what we read earlier, which is the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He knew where he was going. God fulfills his promises he knows that we need a guiding voice. He knows that we have a sea of misguiding voice that are just rolling in at us every day. And he knows that, we need, that we're gonna be led astray. But God sends Jesus, a voice calling from the chaos, a voice saying, don't listen to that voice that whispers in your head and says, you're not good enough. No one will love you. You cannot be forgiven. Don't listen to that voice. Listen to my voice. Listen to me. See, this passage that we read, it relates Jesus to a shepherd, a shepherd who watches over sheep, who cares for the flock, who brings them into the pasture, who leads them into safe places, protects them from evil. And they call Jesus the good shepherd. He called himself that. And the truth is, is that Jesus is calling all of us. And today he's calling for you. For those of you today who have been here and you've been led astray by the world around you, by the voices of opinions and cultures and friends and pressure and stress and addiction, Jesus is calling your name. He's opening the gate to full life. He's saying, come in. He wants all those other sounds that the world will throw at you to be drowned out. Are you willing to listen to the voice of the shepherd? Are you willing to be led into full life? Listen, if you haven't done that, if you haven't answered that call, I'm going to challenge you to do that today. We don't do this often. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Today while we sing this last song, while Darren and the band play this last song, and we're down here... I'm going to be down front. And a few other people will be down front here as well. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know all the answers. But if you're ready to give your life over to Jesus, if you're ready to make that commitment, then I want to ask you to come down and let us pray for you during this song. Let us lift you up. Let's start that, that walk to full life. And then, if you're someone who's made that commitment, but you've never chosen to be baptized, I want you to take that step. I want to encourage you to take that step of commitment. Don't let that window pass. On February 13th, we're going to have some baptisms here. We want you to be a part of that. So you can, after the service is over, if you want to come find me, again, I'll be down front here. Come find me. We'll talk about what it takes to be baptized, and we'll talk about what we need to do to make that happen for you. We want to help you do that. For every one of us, though, I want us all to take time this week. This is a time for us to silence the voices of the world around us. Just shut those out. Those voices that lead us astray, those voices that will tell us not to be in time with God. And instead, I want us to just spend time with God this week, listening. Don't take a list of stuff that you need from him. Just listen. Listen. See what he wants for your life. And let the voice of Jesus, the voice of the good shepherd, lead us into the gate that leads to full life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to be here, Lord. We are so thankful that you have been consistent throughout eternity. From the very beginning, you have stayed true to what you said, Lord. That you love us and you want the best for us and that you will redeem us. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could be with you in eternity. And so we thank you for that. And so today, Lord, we just pray that if there are people here who have not accepted you into their life, Lord, that you would have them come forward and let us lift them up and pray for them and help them make that commitment to follow you. Thank you for what you did for us, the sacrifice you made on the cross, Jesus. We pray all this in your name, amen.